<clears throat> you know, not in this church, but I've been in churches where I've actually heard some folks say, well, we shouldn't talk about money in church. Um, haven't heard that here yet, but let me explain to you why I believe we should be talking about money and other things, all the things that God has placed in our lives. Did you know that 16 of the 38 parables are about money or how to use it? That's 42%. 42% of the parables, parables that Jesus told were about money or how to handle it. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 about faith, and 538 verses that contain the word love. There are 2,350 verses about money and how to handle it. The Lord talks about money matters because money matters. And what we do with it, how we use it, matters. Now, over the years, I have come to realize that, that we all view God a little differently. Now, we have the orthodoxy, right? The, the Apostles' Creed that we just read, the Lord's Prayer. And, and many of us are really comfortable with the idea of God as Father. But what if your father was a drunken, abusive man? Would you really want to perceive God in the way that you perceived your father? I think not. I had some, some friends in seminary who were exactly that, abused by their drunken fathers. And one of them had to do a bunch of mental gymnastics every time we talked about God the Father. The other one just translated immediately in her head, God the Mother, because her mother represented what she thought God should be. And the truth of it is, brothers and sisters, I believe that God transcends gender. When we talk about God, and we talk about God the Father, or God the Mother, or God the Parent, or however it is we talk about God, we are using a human construct to talk about the indescribable. God is so big and so undiscernible, really, that we are limited to talking about God using human words, which frankly don't do justice to what God is. I've also discovered over the years that we all have sort of different size gods with a capital G. Some of us like to keep God in a box in our closet. And when things get rough, we pull God out and we say, okay, God, I'm, I'm back. I really need some help. <clears throat> things are rough. Okay, well, things are smoothed out. Thank you very much. I'm going to go put you back in the box, back in the closet. Then, oh, maybe we're feeling especially grateful because it's Christmas time. So we pull God out of the box again and decide maybe we should share some of it with our children. And then there's some of us that understand that everything comes from God. I mean, everything. I mean, I believe that the next breath that I draw is because God gave it to me. God allowed it 
to happen. The, the sermon title of this is, How Big Is Your God? The subtitle of it should be, It Ain't Yours. That's what I wanted to call it, but Leanne talked me out of using such terrible grammar. You know, the old debate coach, right? So our text comes from First Chronicles. And First Chronicles is generally a, a retelling of much that has happened in the Old Testament. And where we are in First Chronicles is they're in the promised land. David is the king. His son Solomon is a grown man. And King David, with the help of God, has designed what the temple is going to look like. And these people believed literally that they were building the place in which God would come to dwell. So the, the Jews had given most all their gold, most all their silver, most all their precious belongings to help make the house of God. And so that's where they are. Um, it has been made clear by God to David that Solomon is the one to build the temple. While David's done the planning, he's got all the materials, Solomon is going to build it. And so David then begins to praise God, and this is what he says. Then David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. It is in your hand to make the great and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to make this free will offering? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. For we are aliens and transients before you, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and it is all your own. I know, my God, that you search the heart and take pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. The Word of God for the people of God. So in verse 11, David says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Folks, everything belongs to God. We're just stewards. A steward is a caretaker. And so we are a caretaker of all that God has placed in our life. 
It's not yours. And I'm not just talking about the material goods that God has blessed you with. I'm talking about your time and your talent. I mean, we have talented choir members up here who have given their time to rehearse. They're being a steward of a talent that God has given them. When we have people that go to a church member's house to make some home repairs that she can't make, that's being a steward of God's time and talent that He has given to you. We belong to God, and everything that we have belongs to God. And it's not just stuff, folks. It's everything in your life. And that would include your children. Your children are not yours. Your children belong to God, and you are a steward of that child of God. Now, I know some of you may own a house. You may own a car. That's just a human construct for us to have an economy that functions. I can guarantee you, no matter how much you love your Lexus, it ain't going to make it up to heaven with you. You're a steward. Now, you might be able to leave something for the generation behind, but at the end of the day, everything belongs to God. David asked this question of God that gives us an answer as to how big is David's God. David asks a question of God that confirms how big he is. He says, David says that God, oh, sorry, that's not what I wanted to say. In verse 14, David asks, who are we? Who are we to give back to you what you have already given us? I mean, I'm really not sure that you all need a sermon. I think the sermon was in our little children's moment. I mean, how many of you are like that last little boy? Just, just one? I love the first little boy. He got right up, dropped it in there. That's who we should be, right? Giving joyously and freely. In verse 17, God says, or David says to God, I understand that you look like uprightness. What is uprightness? It's doing the right thing. David talks about we need to do the right thing and we need to give to God joyously and freely. I know the truth of it is we all view giving a little differently. Some of us do it out of obligation, maybe even grudgingly. Okay, I'll give. Some of us may give out of fear. We may give out of fear in that if we don't keep giving, God will stop giving. That's not the heart God wants for us. God wants us to give joyously and freely. Why do you give? I know for my wife and I, we weren't always tithers. 
Almost every year since we started, we've made it. But I grew up a Methodist in the 70s. I was a grown man almost in seminary before I heard about the concept of tithing, of 10%. And my wife decided, well, no, my wife and I decided that we were going to move towards a tithe. And it took us three or four years to get to where we were given 10%, but it changed our life. And we were able to give joyously and freely. So as we talk about stewardship these next two weeks and whatever time I've got left in this sermon, I want you to retrain your brain. I don't want you to think about giving a dime to the church. If you're giving to the church, you're giving to the wrong place. You're giving to God through the church. So, you're not going to hear Mike Tyson up here very often talking about we got bills to pay. Because I want you to give to God not to the church. You give through the church. And look, we talked a few weeks ago about being in the world, but not of the world. The church is here to promote the kingdom of God in this community and in the world, to make disciples. That's why the church is here. But we live in Houston, Texas, and there is a basic level of accoutrements that we have to have like air conditioning in August. You think people are going to pack in here to worship God in August if we don't have air conditioning? So that's the part of our church that has to be in the world, right? But I want you to think about giving to God. Don't give a dime to the church. Give it to God through the church. You know, during the Crusades, the, the knights that were going on the Crusades would be baptized. And back then they did mostly immersion. And the knights would hold their right hand and their sword above the water so that they could wield the sword as they saw fit. It was not encumbered by God. Strikes me that we sometimes do that with our checkbook. I'm all in for you, God, but this is mine. God wants you to be able to give joyously and freely So those of you that have been giving faithfully to the church of your time, your talent, and your treasure, I want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you. And as you receive your stewardship packet, I'd ask that you would prayerfully consider what you can do. Perhaps you can do more this year. Because 2021 is going to be a 
another strange year. And we're going to have to make some, have some ability to make some tweaks and some changes as a church as we move through 2021. But if you have never given to God through the church, I have a deal for you. So if starting in January 2021, if you've never given money to God through the church, I invite you to start doing that for 90 days. Once a week, you give faithfully to God through the church. And if at the end of 90 days, your faith is not a little deeper, your walk with God isn't a little closer, then I, Mike Tyson, will refund your money. Money back guarantee. And it will come from my wallet. Yeah, honey, I'm saying this. Not yours. Not the church's. Because I am so confident that giving to God joyfully and freefully, freely will make your life better, make your faith stronger, make your walk better, that I'm willing to guarantee it. After all, it all comes from God anyway. So I invite you to be in prayer about what you can give to God in 2021. And I dare you, if you haven't ever given to God faithfully, give it a try. You'll be amazed. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us. Help us, O oh God, to give joyously and freely to you. Help us to not let go of those dimes slowly. Help us to let them flow freely from our hands to you. Father, we ask that you would guide us and lead us, that this church may be a beacon of your love and grace for all in this community. And that people will see in us the generosity that flows from us to God and to the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.